Today we are going to learn about the fascinating history of Crawford Lake. Why is it so fascinating? Well, that's what I'm going to ask our guest, actually. Dr. Soren Brothers is with us, Assistant Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Toronto. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so where is Crawford Lake? It is about an hour's drive west of Toronto, so it's near Milton, Ontario. Okay, and what is so fascinating about it? So it's a special lake. Um, It's perched at the top of this cliff, the Niagara Escarpment. Uh, And because of this kind of limestone catchment, it has a really deep um, shape compared to being relatively small lakes. It doesn't really ever mix. It never mixes to the bottom. And that creates these really beautiful kind of annual layerings that are almost like tree rings where you can see each year of accumulated sediment on the bottom. And that gives just a really good count of history of what's happened to that lake um, for its whole history. So what has Crawford Lake told us about its history? It, well, that um, annual layering that's visual actually begins in the 1200s with farming by uh, Atawanaran or Prewendat villages that were just adjacent to the lake. So there was farming of of corn and sunflowers there. And that already changed the ecosystem at that point where it started having more nutrients coming in and bringing uh, Canada geese to the lake and things like that. And then since then, we can kind of <clears throat> trace forward this whole history of even colonization in the land. You can see a really major change when the Crawford family moved here. And then you move forward to even seeing traces in terms of how we interact with the lake today and the uh, building of a visitor center and, uh, and some archaeological work that's been done around there. So it just has a really nice, it's a local history, it's a global history, um, also capturing elements, for instance, of uh, cesium plutonium from nuclear weapons testing, and then that drops down with the signing of the Non-Proliferation Treaty in the in the 60s. Wait, but you could see so, all yeah. of that in the lake. Yep. So that's all. All those histories are contained in these one uh, in the single sediment cores from the lake. Okay. So how old is the lake? How many eras does it go back? So the the lake itself, you could go back about 10,000 years. Um, I mean, just since the last glaciation around here. But again, that the kind of visual um, section of this lake where you can kind of see this history is really going back to about the 1200s when you had that indigenous farming at the lake. So you can, and that's what most of the studies that have been done have really focused on these past, uh, this past millennium, really. Okay, and how important is it? I understand that you're using a core of sediment from Crawford Lake that will make a big difference moving forward in the future. What's going on? Yeah, so, well, the, it was selected basically as what's called the, the golden spike candidate of the Anthropocene. So there was a large international search for what would be the best place on the planet to tell us about humanity's impact on the environment, basically, an impact on the planet as a global um, as a global thing that people really, you know, imagine people, geologists looking a million years in the future could look back on and say, this is the start of a new epoch that humans have defined. So Crawford Lake was chosen as being, as having basically the best um, story that really tells that and the strongest evidence for it. Um, so that's where it's become now in the news as this really kind of interesting case um, of global significance. Uh, but I think part of it, I mean, there's lots of these, um, you know, for instance, one of the main things that, that they look at for that um, potential designating a new epoch is plutonium because it's a global signal. So you can see that anywhere around the world. 
Um, and there are other lakes that were considered as, as top candidates that also had really good records of that. I think what really pulled Crawford Lake as the top spike candidate for this was, I think partially at least, this kind of human history that it had as well that was a local story that talked about um, you know, colonialism and indigenous land use and all these other things as well. It's so interesting, though, when you talk about the type of lake this is, you said like the bottom layer of the water does not mix with the upper layer. So how rare is this? It's, um, you know, I couldn't tell you what percentage of lakes. It's definitely not the only lake that has this condition. Um, there's different kinds of, I'm, I'm a lake scientist. So, I mean, I've, I've worked in other lakes around the world um, that rarely or never mix. I, I think Another element of what was appealing for Crawford Lake is that it is just, it's very close to Toronto. There's, um, you know, it's, we have the Royal Ontario Museum. So I'm the curator of climate change at the ROM here as well. And so I have uh, lake sediment cores um, as part of the collection here. And so we're able to find ways to really kind of engage people in the public with the story, with the history of the lake, um, you know, versus having something that's, you know, at a remote area where a lot of people can't really engage with that story as easily or go visit the lake. So there's that element as well, where I think there's, um, you know, there's, it's not the only lake that's called Merrimictic that doesn't mix, um, but it was a bunch of things that came together. I mean, also, for instance, I think one of the candidates that was being considered as a golden spike was uh, Antarctic ice core. And people realize that, you know, we think of those as being really great records of, of global impacts and global change. But if you were to pick the 1950s as the start of the Anthropocene, you're only looking, you know, a few centimeters down in ice, and that might melt in the, in the next few decades with warming. Um, so this is something where people, again, can go in 100 years from now, and they can take a sediment core, and they can see immediately where that 1950s start was. Um, so there's a lot of things that we're going for it outside of, you know, just the uh, the fact that it didn't mix is kind of the starting point of what made it a really good right. candidate. You, so I understand that there's going to be this official kind of starting point for a new geologic chapter. Why are we marking that now? What is happening that we think, okay, this is going to be a new geologic chapter? Well, it's been the conversation that's been happening for a long time. So at the museum, I work with uh, people in the humanities, for instance, and artists who you know, the Anthropocene is old news for them. They've been talking about the Anthropocene for years, and to them it almost doesn't matter if geologists decide to, to make it a formal thing or not. Um, and I think that there is this kind of debate where, you know, for the geologists to really say we're in a new epoch, um, you know, I, I think it's really, it's the highest bar of evidence that we can say that we have really done things that are um, irreversible, and again, you know, if you're saying that you're going to see this as a new epoch and change a million years from now, that means that, you know, what we've done um, can't necessarily be reverted immediately. If we stop doing, that's one of the questions that's coming in where people are even deciding whether we want to formalize this as a new epoch. There's something kind of pessimistic at the core in saying that the changes we've done are irreversible, the planetary systems have totally altered um, and if we even stop what we're doing, if we were just to disappear today, this would still you know, be a new epoch on the planet millions of years, possibly into the future, at least hundreds of thousands of years, um, which is usually how long epochs last. And so you're really looking at this kind of shift of what, is, what has our impact been and 
um, part of that conversation then is deciding when do we really want to start that point? When did we have it? And apparently there's also legal implications that could come from actually designating a new epoch. Right. And for instance, holding certain corporations accountable for potentially ending the Holocene and starting a new epoch. So it's pretty momentous to think that this lake in Canada could be the place that may, helps to make it all happen. Right. So it's the next vote would be on whether to actually decide to, ha- to recognize an Anthropocene epoch. Um, but apparently every single geological transition in history, um, it has a golden spike associated with it, a place in the world that best shows that in the different layers from one period to another. And so this would be the golden spike then. And this is just kind of the package of saying this is the best place to show that. Um, and for a bunch of reasons, basically. It could be right here. Listen, thank you so much for explaining it to us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the call. So interesting, right? Dr. Soren Brothers, Assistant Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Toronto, talking about the history-making Crawford Lake. Well, we have a little something to give away this morning and all this week on the show. We don't want you to miss out on this. I had an amazing time emceeing an event at the Celebration of Light on Saturday. We want you to go and see this beautiful event up close and personal, but with reserved seats. So we have a pair of tickets to give away to the reserved seating at a Nook Shook Point at this year's Honda Celebration of Light. Now, these tickets are for the July 29th show. So if you think you can make it, we're going to give you a chance to win. So call us now, 604-280-9898. 604-280-9898. And your chance to win is next.